Hey, welcome to the Faith NFM podcast. We appreciate your time today, and we encourage you to head on over to faithnfm.com where you can find the notes for this presentation, as well as links to all that's happening around Faith Assembly. Our hope is that this message helps move you forward in your faith journey. Well, good morning. We're glad you're with us no matter where you're joining us from. We have a couple things happening and just want to bring your attention to uh, before we kick off into our uh, message. And that is in two weeks, we are going to be reaching out to our neighbor right next door, Bayshore Elementary. We want to invite you out. It's going to be a work day. We're going to be laying mulch doing some painting. We have all sorts of different ways you can get plugged in. So you can sign up or you can just show up, bring your kids, come on out. It's going to be a, a good time in a way that we are the actual hands and feet of Jesus in our community. We take what's happening in here and we go out there, right church? Come on now. So uh, we're kicking off a new series called Keeping It Fresh keeping it fresh. Uh, we're going to be looking at what is known as the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, join me, Galatians is where we're going to be pulling our text from today, chapter 5, verse 22. We title this message, Be Gentle. Turn to your neighbor and say, Be Gentle. There you go. Or maybe you need to say it gentle. Be Gentle. You know, however it works. So Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 says this, but the Holy Spirit produces, okay, produces, meaning like when we're living in step, the Holy Spirit comes and grows the fruit, produces these kinds of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and here we go, we have gentleness, that's what we're talking about, so circle that right now, and self Control. There is no law against these things. So I want to bring your attention to this. A lot of times in life, in the way we go about our daily routine, we try to make ourselves better. We try to say, hey, I got to be better, more disciplined. I got to uh, uh, work a little harder. I got to invest more in my relationships. But this is what I want you to, to kind of hone in when it comes to the Holy Spirit being leading and living in step in your life is this, that the Holy Spirit produces the fruit in your life. The Holy Spirit grows the fruit as we draw close to God. If there's one thing, piece of encouragement I can give you this morning is this. Your responsibility as a follower of Jesus is to lean into that relationship and know Jesus better. James 4, 8 says this, come close to God and God will come close to you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Now, we're talking about gentleness fruits of the Spirit. So I thought it appropriate that we have some fruit over here, right? Anybody like fruit when it comes to Florida, when it's fresh, come in, like, you know, a hot day, you're, you're getting uh, your, your little parched, or you need something maybe like hit that natural sweetener, right? So we have some grapes up here, lemons, we have a pomegranate, and we'll kind of talk about these in the next days. But when I think of gentleness, I think of the banana, these bananas. Now, there's no warning label, but you know to handle a banana with, with great care, right? You know that you don't really go and squeeze the banana hard because what's going to happen, right? It's going to explode everywhere. 
We know that there's no, like, there's, there's no pit, there's no hard seed. We just know that the banana is something that we really have to take care of, right? And if you've been in Florida for some time, whenever you buy a bunch of bananas, you better eat them within the first two days or what's going to happen to them? They're going to turn brown. They're going to bruise. So anytime you think of a banana, from now until the day the Lord comes, I want you to think about the fruit of gentleness. All right? Put that in your back pocket and say, hey, you're walking through Publix, and it's 69 cents a bunch. Oh, man, I better be gentle today. You know, or, or maybe it's like you're hanging out with your spouse a little bit and be like, hey, you know, I just wanted to give you a little breakfast this morning. And, and you say, how about you eat a banana right now, right? Hopefully they're with you right now and they're, they're receiving what we're talking about. Gentleness. We need gentleness. Gentleness is important in our life. We need gentleness when it comes to the doctor that might misdiagnose what's taking place in our life. We need gentleness when it comes to the coach not playing our kid during the game. We need gentleness when it comes to the boss making us work overtime. We need gentleness. The Holy Spirit produces and grows gentleness. We simply define gentleness as this. It's referring to a quality by showing mild friendliness, by showing mild friendliness or forbearance, especially to an enemy when harshness would be expected in behavior. A gentle person will act mercifully and appropriately. Right now, church, we need gentleness in our society who we work with, who we engage with more than ever. We need to be friendly when friendliness isn't warranted. We need to be merciful when that person might not be deserving of our mercy. See, church, we have to lean in and say, Lord, Holy Spirit, I need you to guide me, to lead me, to grow this fruit of gentleness in my life. It's not up to you and me to grow the fruit. What's up to us is to lean into who Jesus is in our life. So today we're going to look at a story where Jesus exhibited radical gentleness, an amazing gentleness, when he comes to a hostile crowd. In Mark chapter 3, verse 1, you can join me there. So Jesus is at the very beginning of his ministry, and he shows up to a, a, a synagogue. Verse 1, here we go. Jesus went into a synagogue again and noticed a man with the deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. And this is greatly taboo. We'll discuss this in a moment. Then he turned to the critics and asked, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? It is a day to save a life or destroy it, but they wouldn't answer him. That's always kind of the scenario when Jesus strikes the chord with people. They wouldn't answer him. And he looked around angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. And then he said to a man, hold out your hand, so that the man held out his hand and it was restored. At once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot and kill Jesus. Jesus, radical 
gentleness. Today, I want to give you four reasons why we need to be gentle. The first one is this. Our gentleness is on display. Be gentle because our gentleness, number one, is on display. Or let me clearly maybe put it a different way for us. Our lack of gentleness is on display. If you know it or not, people are always watching you. People are always observing you. Your actions speak into your testament of your, your witness, how you lead your life, to say, hey, do I want what that person has? And a big key of that is how we operate and lead with gentleness. Gentleness is huge in our daily lives. And if you know it or not, people are always watching. I like to illustrate it this way. A couple Saturdays ago, my sons uh, wake up early. And when they wake up, the neighborhood wakes up. Any parent can relate with that a little bit. So I do what a, a healthy and a great parent does. I get up on Saturday, 6 a.m., I go and lock our door. They can't get in. So I hear them. I'm like, all right, I just need 10 more minutes. Just 10 more minutes, boys. So then we hear this, the, the Civil War drawer open. We see these guys skirmish. We hear the door start to unlock. My four-year-old walks in holding a butter knife saying, hey, Dad, time to get up, you know. And I'm like, how did he get in? He took the butter knife, unlocked the door. We've never taught him that. What's going on? What's happening? And you know what he, he comes to tell us? I saw mom do it. I look at Brittany. This is your fault. She's like, I had no idea he was ever watching. The point is that no matter what we do, if we know it or not, people are watching us. People are watching our gentleness. So if you're grouchy, if you're yelling, if you're, if you're screaming, or if you're just an unfriendly person and you're not showing a mild friendliness or, or treating your neighbor with respect, people are watching. Even when you don't think, parents, you understand that. Parents, you see that. If you have friends, they see what you're doing. Co-workers, observe your life. See, look, in, in, Mark, 3, in Mark 3, chapter 2, it says this, Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If you follow the headlines right now, the church is under a microscope. Outside of these walls, people are observing how does uh, showing love, how does showing kindness, how does showing gentleness line up with our daily living? See, church, we have to be more in this position of saying, hey, someone's watching me. There's pressure with that. We can receive that or say, hey, you know, it doesn't matter what really anybody says about me. See, our gentleness is always on display. When Jesus was interacting in this hostile crowd, he knew people were watching him. He knew people were observing him. In fact, people wanted him to trip up. People wanted him to mess up. People wanted him to make that mistake. And yet Jesus responded in gentleness. King Solomon, one of the wisest men to ever live this, on this earth, before he gains a wealth of wisdom in 1 Kings chapter 3, when he has this dream and, and the Lord asks him, what's one thing you want? And he asks for wisdom. And because he has wisdom, he gets blessed with fame, power, fortune, and his empire grows vastly. But there's this little detail found in 1 Kings chapter 2 where before he receives this great multitude of abundance, 
He leads with gentleness. 1 Kings 2, chapter 28. Then the king said to this man by the name of Abathar, the priest. Now, Abathar was this individual who lined up with the rebellion against Solomon. In fact, one of David's kings was trying to take charge, and and this priest was on that team, and, and, and King Solomon steps into the throne. And so, what typically customary had, if you lined up with the rebellion, then your life was at stake. But this is how Solomon hands. He says, go back to your home in Anathoth. He says, you deserve to die, but I will not kill you now. Because you carried the ark of the sovereign Lord for David, my father, and you shared all his hardships. This great position and posture of mercy is what Solomon took. See, our display of gentleness communicates our ability to have a heart that receives. See, notice in Solomon's life, he never would have probably been in this moment, this character, this development of receiving God's abundance if he first wasn't in a position to show mercy, friendliness, gentleness. You're here in this place right now, I want to encourage you, your greatest testament, your greatest story, the greatest love of Jesus you can show somebody is how you display your gentleness. Jesus displayed his gentleness. Number two for us, we're gentle because our gentleness reaches the vulnerable. Our gentleness reaches the vulnerable. No matter what you go through, no matter what you face, there are people around you who might have some hang-ups, mess-ups, hurts, pains, problems, perils, and if we want to minister effectively to those people, then we have to be gentle. We have to take the approach of saying, hey, you can talk to me. Hey, I'm here. I, I see what's going on in your life. Mark 3, 3, Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, Come and stand in front of everyone. This man who had a deformity, probably a, 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 shri- a shriveled, paralyzed, maybe less normal looking of a hand that wasn't able to work, known as in, in this culture, probably somebody who was, who was uh, uh, considered unclean, someone who didn't belong in the synagogue, Someone with other religious elite around him would say, no, we don't want anything to do with this man. Jesus sees this vulnerable individual, says, hey, come and stand in front, and let me give you something that's going to be not even a, a price tag is worth placing on it. This idea of gentleness, reaching the vulnerable. You and I, we all know that there's problems in our own life. We're all vulnerable in our own different ways, right? We're not perfect. We got things that really uh, we lose sleep over. And whenever we're processing those things, who are the people we turn to? The people that show gentleness in our life. The people that I can say, hey, I can have a cup of coffee and I can tell them what's taking place. I can, I can pour out my heart. I can tell them my deepest thoughts. I can share in confidence with what's going on in my life. Gentleness allows us to have this position to minister to the vulnerable. Gentleness is key. Gentleness is essential. 
There's this lady who spends her whole life savings, who sees doctor after doctor, and she can't find a remedy for her issue with the blood in Mark chapter 5, verses 33 and 34. And this is what happened. And the frightened woman trembling at the realization of what had happened to her came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. What happened right there is this lady had this issue of blood. She goes and she touches Jesus in the crowd. Why? Because Jesus was gentle. He was approachable. When she was vulnerable, she went where she knew that a need could be met, a need could be sought. Miracles could happen. The miraculous could be done because Jesus led with this posture of gentleness. Jesus was gentle with this man with a deformed hand. He could call him in front, and the man would listen because he knew Jesus had his back. He knew Jesus would speak over him, give life to him, knew that if he lined up with Jesus, then he knows something is going to be okay in his life. Gentleness is is key. Gentleness is a cornerstone. Gentleness is key to reaching the hurting and the vulnerable. I'm reminded of this story. John Newton, he wrote Amazing Grace. Anybody heard that song before? I I almost was like, hey, let me get up here on the keys. Amazing Grace. Come on. You know, right? He writes this story, and, and he writes this hymn. And if you know anything about John Newton, he was a former slave trader. Gets radically saved where he gets radically saved from under this ministry of two men by the name of George Whitefield and John Wesley. Radically given such gentleness that this man who did such egregious, terrible things, participating in the slave trade, goes forward and and he has this encounter with George Whitefield and, and John Wesley and he's radically saved and then he gives all of that up and starts becoming a a church minister for the Church of England. Can you imagine the kind of gentleness to have that kind of encounter with somebody who was a part of that? I mean, talk about a blemish now. If there was a statue of Newton somewhere, it'd probably be torn down, ran over, thrown apart, canceled. And rather these ministers canceling him, pushing him off, would they say? hey, there's redemption. There's hope. See, our gentleness reaches people from whatever background that they might have. Our gentleness is key when it comes to that. Number three for us, we're gentle because of this. Our gentleness is a great way to handle critics. Our gentleness is a great way to handle critics. I know there's uh, been times in my life when people have been critical of some of the things that I've done. And there's a lot of times I want to respond, right? They give me words, I want to give them words back. Anybody can relate with that? They give you attitude, what do you want to do? Give them attitude back. They show their actions off a little bit and you're like, all right, let me tell you a little bit. Like you get some actions, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And, And you kind of fight fire with fire. I love how Jesus responds when the critics come. He's gentle, he takes... A, a, a unique approach. In Mark 3, 4, this is what he does. He says he 
then turned to his critics and asked. He just asked a simple question. Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? Is this day a day to save a life or destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. See, Jesus doesn't try to wrestle with them. Jesus doesn't try to pin them down. Jesus doesn't try to uh, go back and forth with the crowd and, and get people on his side. All Jesus does is ask a simple question to handle the critics. Whenever the critics come in your life, because the truth be told, if you're doing anything worth doing, then you're going to have critics in your life. How do you handle the critics? Are you going to take a step back and say, maybe I just need to ask a question. Hey, like, is everything going okay in life? How's your life at home? You doing okay? When it comes to this way that Jesus is gentle, he simply turns it back to them and, and says, why don't you maybe come up with a solution? See, gentleness allows us to confront critics while still being like Christ. See, Jesus' authority is, again, he's, it's challenged. In, in Mark chapter 11, we see where Jesus' authority is challenged and his whole purpose is questioned. And this is how Jesus responds again. Jesus said to him, I will ask you one question, answer me, and I will tell you what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. When the critics came again in Jesus' life, what's he do? He asked a question. I uh, grew up in Missouri. I, I tell this quite a bit because I claim Missouri, not any of the other places I've been. So I grew up in Missouri, moved to Las Vegas. When I was in Las Vegas, people asked me, where are you from? I said, Missouri. They're like, oh, the Midwest. I'm like, yeah, you got it. Good job. You know, like, cool. And then I moved to California. And I told people in California, where are you from? And, and or they asked me, where are you from? And I said, well, I'm from Missouri. And they're like, so is that like in the South, right? And I would sit there. And if you know anything about Missouri, it's in the center of the state, states. And I would sit there and be like, okay, I'm, I'm not necessarily from the South. I'm from the Midwest and everybody in California, you can tell why California is kind of where California is at. Because they're like, there's like, where's that at again? Like, remind me the South Missouri and they're confused. And I remember being in each step of the way when I would tell someone, hey, I'm from Missouri or hey, I'm from there. And then I moved to Florida. And people are like, hey, where'd you come from? I'm like, California. And they're like, go back to where you came from, right? <laughs> Bumper sticker. And, and, and I was like, okay, so I've learned very on my first couple months, this is where I'm from. I'm from Missouri, you know? And, and every step of the way, people would almost be like, you don't really fit. I'd be like, what do you, like, what do you mean fit? Like, like I'm, I'm like all sorts of states. I'm like Missouri. California, Florida, South, let's go, you know, like I'm all sorts. And, and it felt every way and like every step I'd be involved in certain ministries and, and in my life where it wasn't just kind of like, I felt like I was a perfect puzzle piece. I don't know, have you ever felt like that before? Or maybe you just didn't fit, maybe in your current area of where you're working or maybe where you're living your life at or maybe with some of your relationships. Things just don't seem to fit. And what happens is sometimes when you don't seem to fit, the critics start to become a little louder, right? 
and you start listening to critics. And what I've learned early on in my experience is no matter where I was from, no matter what I was maybe aligned with, that gentleness was a great way to handle some of the people that are most critical of who and we might be. See, the critic is looking for the, the friction. Jesus is here saying, hey, there's going to be friction, but I'm not going to come about it the way you're thinking I'm going to come about it. I'm going to come about it in a methodical approach, a reasonable approach, a smooth approach. So no matter what you're facing, you might have critics in your life. I want to encourage you. Are you going about it a smooth, methodical, gentle approach? Because those critics might say some things, but remember what, remember what uh, gentleness is? It's this forbearance. It's this idea of someone might do something against you, but you're going to forgive it. And I think a lot of us, we have to come to that understanding that there's going to be critics out there. How are we going to respond? How are we going to navigate that? Number four for us this morning is this. Our gentleness helps with the correct response. Our gentleness helps with the correct response. We see three responses. The first one I want to touch on a little bit is this. Jesus' enemies, the audience. In Mark 3, 5, we see he looked down at them angrily, that him being Jesus, and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. The people's response. Hard hearts, oftentimes we think of it as like the stone wall, can't receive. It's actually this idea of refusing to receive. So not that someone can't receive, it's that they're refusing to receive. Hard hearts get developed in Jesus' enemies, right? They said, we don't want uh, to listen to you, Jesus. We look in verse 6, they go off and they try to go find the, the, the elite in the political scene and they say, hey, we need to kill Jesus. They're mad, they're frustrated. We can assume that, right? That hard hearts come with Jesus' enemies. The enemies don't want to hear what Jesus is bringing. But hard hearts can also happen to two other groups. And I think it's something we need to be pretty aware of. Another group we see where hard hearts occur is common people. Now, right now, if we looked at our life, majority of people who are far from God, I would say, fit this category. It's not that they're just evil people, but they're people that don't really maybe have a say, have an opinion. But look, these kind of people can develop hard hearts. In John 12, verse 38, but despite all the miraculous signs Jesus had done, most of the people still did not believe in him. This is exactly what Isaiah the prophet had predicted. Lord, who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? But the people couldn't believe, for as Isaiah also said, the Lord has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. So their eyes cannot see and the hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and have me heal them. Common people can have hard hearts. But this is what I also found fascinating when it comes to having the response. Did you know disciples can also have hard hearts? Disciples can be individuals, people who follow Jesus, people who are saying, hey, I commit to Jesus. Hey, I'm going to go to the ends of the earth with Jesus. Hey, I'm all for Jesus. Yet they can have hard hearts. 
they can have this idea of refusing to receive. We just see Jesus is walking on water in Mark chapter 6, verse 52, for they did not understand about the loaves. We see this miracle happen, the loaves and fishes, but their hearts were hardened. But their hearts were hardened. Hard hearts can happen to all of us. Hard hearts can happen to those who are close to Jesus, those who are enemies of Jesus, and everybody in between. How do we break through that is understanding the the need and the essential of gentleness in our life. You and I need to have gentleness, think about gentleness, grow our fruit of gentleness. And then we also see Jesus' response. And I love how Jesus responds in this, this scenario. He is emotional. He's angry, says. He's deeply saddened. But he didn't let his emotion distract him from the restoration. See, a lot of times we can get caught up in our emotion, right? We can get mad, we can get frustrated, and we can let everything go out the window and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to push that over there. I'm just going to do whatever. I'm going to let the emotions take over. Jesus, frustrated. Their hearts are hardened. These people aren't receiving. They're coming to get him, in a sense. And yet, how does he respond? And then we see the man's response. The man held out his hand. Jesus said, stand, come forth, vulnerable person, and I'm going to restore it. The man's response was a person who just did. See, the point, no matter where we're at, whatever category we might fit when it comes to the response is this. The point here is that despite the response from people, Jesus continues to restore what is broken. People can be mad. People can be frustrated. People can have hard hearts. What's Jesus continue to do? Hey, I see you. You're vulnerable. I'm going to restore you. Hey, you're hurting, you're broken, I can restore that. Hey, there's the crowd, there's the critics, people are yelling. We can handle all that. We're going to treat that with the right attitude. We're going to be gentle. We're going to be calm in our approach. We're going to ask some questions, get them thinking, but I can restore you. See, right now, there's some of us in this place watching online, wherever you might be, and you have some serious questions about life going on. Our gentle approach is this, knowing that we serve a Lord and Savior by the name of Jesus who radically changes our lives. And he wants to have a relationship with you. So here in just a moment, we're going to enter into a time and reflection. And I want you to ask a question here, two of them. Maybe you're following Jesus. Maybe you're looking to start a relationship with Jesus. The first one is this, how does gentleness need to grow in your life? What areas do you need to work on? How's your public display? How are you handling your critics? How are you responding when things get a little dicey in life? Or maybe you're in here right now and you're far from God, haven't started a relationship with Jesus and you want to do that. You wanna say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I need you in my life. I want what you're talking about. I want to produce. I want to grow these fruits you're talking about because life seems pretty hard right now. 
maybe you're in this place and you want to start a relationship with Jesus. Here we're just going to sit and wait a moment. And you just pray, Lord, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I want to have a relationship with you. It doesn't matter where you're at. I'm going to ask you right now if you'll just bow your head, close your eyes. Now let's wait on the Lord right now. Hey, thanks for listening today. If you have any questions or would like to speak to someone concerning this message, we invite you to fill out our online communication card at faithnfm.com. And if you're able, we'd love to have you with us in person on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. or on the best night of the week for Wednesday prayer at 7 p.m. We're at 7101 Bayshore Road in North Fort Myers, just two miles west of I-75 at exit 143. Thanks again for listening.